Welcome to FBC Midlothian, where we are resilient disciples who lead people to pursue Jesus where we live, work, and play. You can't fully understand human experiences until you actually experience them. We can trust Jesus had that understanding because he was fully human. There are some experiences that you cannot understand until you've had them yourself. You can look at somebody else, you can hear them describe it, but nothing takes the place of you walking through those moments, those experiences. I remember when we were leaving our sons at college, I remember this moment we were driving on the street and I looked up in my rearview mirror and I could see one of my sons on the sidewalk in front of the dorm. And immediately I felt this flashback to when I was looking in the rearview mirror, only it was my parents at the end of our driveway. And only then did I have an idea what that must have been like for them. I just could not possibly understand that until that moment. Or we've had several people in our church uh, and in our community who've had debilitating back pain. I mean, they've talked about how you can't breathe. All those and I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in a weight room for a lot of years. I tweaked my back, did some things, overdid it. But I had no idea until one day in the laundry room, I reached over to the dryer and I picked up a bounce sheet. <laughs> and in that moment of great lifting, something went, and I was on the floor, could not breathe. And I thought, this is what they're talking about. I had no idea. Because there are just several things, several things you can't really understand until you personally experience them. And I'm telling you that because I think we have to recognize that when Jesus came to earth, when God chose to be incarnated, this was one of the reasons so we would understand. He was becoming human, flesh, in Christ. It's really one of the most powerful reasons for the incarnation or him becoming human, that he would understand and relate to our hurts and our weakness and our strength. Karl Barth, German theologian from years ago, said that the incarnation of Christ, God coming in flesh, is the revelation moment in all history. But it has also been one that we've wrestled with for centuries as well. And so today I want you to see something I think many of you need to see personally and all of us corporately need to know. It's going to be in Hebrews 2. We started the series through Hebrews just about three weeks ago. And he's been making the argument that Jesus is ultimate. He's greater than the folks that came before him, greater than all those prophets who preceded him. He's greater than the angels. But in this verse we're going to read, he talks about a quality that Jesus has that no one else can possibly have and what it means to us. This is Hebrews 2, starting in verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. He became flesh. 
God incarnate in the flesh. Now, I got to tell you, for centuries, people have been arguing about this and wrestling with this. It's hard to imagine God in a human form. That's what Jewish followers had such a hard time with, even though they knew about the Messiah coming. There were others who looked at God and, and saw there's no way he can understand. These two forces have always been at work. How could Jesus be God if he was in the flesh? And how could Jesus understand us if he was really God? You see the conflict? I've been thinking about this quite a bit. It seems to me that we often are more comfortable with God in the distance because if he's in the distance, he's unrelated to us, he's disconnected from us, it makes it far easier to justify us doing what we want and ignoring what he has said. If he's that detached, if he's in the distance, then he won't know when we choose to do what we want. But that would also mean that you're absolutely alone that you are on your own facing whatever life throws at you. And as much as I would love to talk today about all the best of days, there are times when we have to talk about the hardest of days. I hate to break this news to you, but if you're breathing right now, you're going to face days that are terribly painful. It's life. And it won't be because God looked at you and said, well, I don't love you. It's because you live in a fallen world. There are be days when you feel alone in it. There are be days when you're misunderstood, betrayed, hurt. There are days when you're sick. Days when you go through loss. Days when you're going to ask, do I have a bullseye on my back? There will be days when someone you trust breaks that trust. There will be days when your friend you find out is really your enemy. And in those moments, if you only think of God as someone way out in the distance, then you will feel alone. And I want to tell you, that is not what God wants for you. He wants you to know you're not alone. In fact, when you look at this passage we're reading today, it says not just that he had a desire for that, but he did the hard work. It's this, Jesus came to help us, but to help us he took the drastic steps necessary to be with us. And presence is huge to say, I'm with you. I remember the first time I ever had to go to a hospital. My mentor got in this Toyota Corolla, and we made our trip down I-45 toward a hospital. It was about 30 minutes away. And so he did sort of the, the orientation, what was going to happen. And he said, you need a couple of skills to do this. First, you need the skill and the will to keep your mouth shut. I don't know why he thought he had to tell me that. <laughs> He said, you're going to feel this desire to say it's going to be okay. You're going to feel the desire to make promises that you can't keep and that you don't know. You're going to want to take their pain and somehow box it in so it's manageable for you. That's not your job. And because of that, 
I have learned often it is best to be silent but present. Had a friend named Paul. Paul and his wife had a genetic um, disorder that they passed through recessive genes. And they didn't know at the time, but their baby was carrying that disorder. And about eight months in, the heart stopped. And they had to deliver stillborn a basically fully matured baby. And so they're going to have a graveside. That kind of loss is different from every other kind of loss. It's the nightmare of every parent. It's something we just can't imagine. It's a nightmare of siblings to be thinking about what would it be like to lose my brother or sister. And so they were going to have a graveside service. And a friend named Walter said, hey, I'll be there. What time is it? No, Walter, we don't want you to come, they said. No, I have to be there. No, we just want this for family, and we ask you to respect our privacy. And Walter said, I'm going to be there. I have to be there. Sure enough, they're standing by the graveside. They hear a car door. They turn around. Here comes Walter walking up the grave. He came and stood beside Paul, put his arm around his shoulders, and began to weep. Not, but shoulder-shaking, chest-heaving sobs for his friend and their loss. That graveside service came to an end. They said, Amen. Walter embraced Paul, turned and walked to his car and drove away. This is what Paul told me. He never said a word, but he preached the greatest sermon of compassion I've ever experienced. This is the truth. Presence trumps profundity. You're not going to say something magical. People will say, hey, I would go, but I don't know what to say. I don't either. It's not about what you say. I'm not going to enter as a pastor and say, I'm about to tell you a truth that's going to make your heart sing again. Not now. I was with someone, a dear friend, when her mom was dying. We knew it. I don't remember saying a thing, but I spent a lot of time with my arms around their shoulders. Presence. The second thing he said to me on that day going to the hospital, the other skill you must have is the will not to run from their pain. And let's face it, friends. Many of you face that. Even students, your heart's been broken. Uh, a boy, a girl, reacted in a way, and you were heartbroken. You wanted somebody not to say, well, you know, if you'd been a better boyfriend or a better girlfriend. You, know, you wanted somebody to say, I'm sorry. I won't leave you. We go through losses. Lose a job. Lose a friend. And there's something so powerful about the will to be with someone. Powerful. Jesus took on human flesh to experience what we experienced, to give to us something that we really do know because we have a word for it. It's called empathy. It's not pity. It's, I will wade into your sorrow, your pain, your hurt, your disappointment with you. Now, why would he do that ultimately? Here we say this in 17. 
Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. This is something that we have a hard time with, but to bring all of God's mercy and all of God's justice, he had to be God. But to walk in that, to take on human flesh, to know what that felt like, to deal with it, is much like what we describe when we do three circles, that God had a design for everything. And we chose to go our own way and decide we're going to do it ourselves, the way we like. And Jesus came and he lived the life we were designed to live and couldn't. So he'd give us a right standing with God we could never earn. So we made right, one, whole, and forgiven. But to do that, God started just like we would with little children. He created an object lesson that we call the sacrificial system. A high priest would stand before people, before God, and they would speak to the people on behalf of God. He was the go-between, the intermediary. The mediator, you might say. But on this case, Jesus became the high priest who would do more than just represent people before God and represent God before people. He, as a high priest, would lay his own sinless life, his own sacred, holy life, as the sacrifice itself. And in the cross and the resurrection, he brought all the justice and all the mercy together once and for all so that you and I could approach God with confidence as forgiven people. That was his plan. In verse 18, he tells, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, and here's the point of today, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. One, because we're not alone. And two, this eyewitness account is chock full of times when Jesus was tested and we can see how he handled it. And we can emulate it. Now, if you think it's far-fetched, I'll, I'll present this as evidence. For years, I thought that YouTube was just a great place to watch cats do strange things. I thought it was a place for Denver, the Golden Lab, to, to be able to be scolded and see his antics and how he, he would cringe. I thought that's what YouTube was for. And then I asked Michael Sanders how to do something. He goes, just YouTube it. What? Just YouTube it. You can, you can learn to do anything. I'm sorry, you don't understand. My wife has forbidden me to touch wires or pipes. That's not happening. But I had another need. It's just YouTube it. So I typed in... Changing, fixing, turn signal, handle switch for F-150 2012. And it gave me four different options of people who had done the same thing. In fact, there was Woodrow. I was watching and going, that's my truck. And so I take the iPad, I get in the truck because I am so incapable when it comes to any of this stuff. And I'm watching, hit pause, okay, do this part. Kelly refrained from walking out on the driveway when I had the steering column completely disassembled. That would not have been good. Step by step, I saw how somebody else had done it, and I emulated what they did. And, <laughs> miracle, it worked. 
We look at things all the time, but how is this solved? How do we fix this problem? The writer of Hebrews says, we have an example in front of us. Jesus, God in flesh, was tested. And he shows us how to deal with that. That's why he says, verse 18, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He did that for us. And friends, we needed it. Because if you live long enough, every single one of us are going to go through deception, betrayal, disappointment, death, grief, loss. And how you handle it can be helped tremendously because you're not alone. He's with you and he shows you how to do it. Kelly and I are ending our second decade with you today. And we're about to go on a refreshment called sabbatical. We were talking about this as we've gotten ready because I've been collecting resources. What is it that I need and want to be prepared for the rest of this decade and to be able to lead you well. And there is a particular book on my bookshelf that I've been avoiding because I know what it's going to tell me and I'm not yet ready to hear it. It's the medicine I know I need. It's the example of Jesus right in front of me. But I am terrified by it because it's going to require something of my soul that I am calculating the cost for. I told Kelly this morning, I said, I feel like I need some substantial time in a journal processing through some things that have been very painful. I know it's coming. But it's that kind of thing where you're going to do a big project and you don't just do a little part of it because you know once you start tearing in, there's no, you've got to go all the way and you got to fix it. You got to put all the parts out on the garage floor. You've got to have everything sorted. You've got to go piece by piece by piece and you know there's no shortcut. That's where I am. But we have this example of a God who loved us so much. To help us, he waited in with us. So you know what that feels like. You know what it's like to know his comfort so clearly it's unmistakable. You can't miss it. And if you've done that, then you also know that if he shows that compassion to you, Soon you're going to be with somebody else who's gone through similar circumstances. You're going to find these words coming out of your mouth. I remember when, and it was your experience. If you're moved by his compassion for you, then my prayer today is that you are going to be moved by that compassion even more to be an instrument of his compassion for other people. Will you let him work in you that way? 
Will you be a blessing? And will you let him work through you? Because he has been a comforter for you. He felt tears. He wept. He felt anger. He saw injustice. He acted for you. So will you now, because he acted for you, will you act for others that are nearby? People that God has planted in your way. Will you learn from him? Will you act for others? Because he acted for you. See, every week we get to this place where you have to decide what you're going to do. What will you do? When you start looking at all these options, what we've read about his heart for you and what he did for you, now it's your turn to decide. And I'm going to ask you to do three things. Real simple. Will you learn to lean in on him when you're hurting? Instead of saying, I'm all alone on this, or just turn to anger and just turn to rage or just turn to revenge, will you instead lean in to him and know you're not alone? Will you learn from him? Will you look at how he handled these same things and emulate those? And third, will you love others because you know he loved you and he has come for you? Lean in, learn from him and love others because of him. Friends, being your pastor has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I've loved it. But probably the time when I have developed the closest relationships have been when we walk together in pain. It's life. I love celebrating the best days. But Jesus waded into my worst days with the intent that I would wade into your worst days and that you in turn would wade into the worst days of others to say, I will not run from your pain. I will not give you simplistic answers, but I will bring someone with me who is our comfort. And I'm praying today that you will seize that moment and what we have put on logos and posters and things that you would lead people to pursue Jesus. That you do it because you remember when Jesus pursued you and you gave your heart to him. And today you're still giving your heart to him because you know he loves you. That's my prayer for you. And I'd like to lead you for just a moment to process through all three of these and you make a decision. And I hope you'll make a decision of trust and obedience. Would you pray with me? Right now, if you feel that you're alone in it, would you right now choose to lean in and say, Jesus, you waded into my pain in ways I have had a hard time recognizing. But I believe you. And I believe your intentions toward me are compassionate and gracious. Today I choose to lean on you.
And Jesus, I believe that I have every kind of expression of your reactions to things. The eyewitnesses recorded what you did when you were hurt, when you were hungry, when you were exhausted, when you were betrayed, when you were disappointed, when you saw rejection. And so, God, grant me the courage and the discipline to turn again and again to what you did, that it might be something I emulate through your grace. And finally, Jesus, to my class, to my workplace, to my neighborhood, to the people that you have planted in my life, grant me courage to love well, to wade in with them like you waded in with me. Grant me courage to speak the truth of love and to hang in there with my presence so they might believe in you. Hear our hearts today, Father, that we might honor you with what we do, even as we lean in to your comfort for ourselves as we learn from you and as we choose to wade in for others as well. That we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to talk to somebody about what you've heard or you have any questions, send us a text at 972-845-5796 and a pastor will get right back to you. Subscribe to this podcast to get notified each week when new content is posted. If you're local to the Midlothian, Texas area, we would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services at 8 o'clock, 9.30, or 11. You can also visit us online at fbcmidlow.com. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.